welcome back to another episode of No But Yeah. I'm Lily. I'm Kendall. It has been a really long time and we always say this. You know what? I, I've got to stop with the journal metaphor because <laughs> I say this just about every time. But I just, we're busy people. And we're this so is certainly busy. a priority. So much so that I do put it on my resume. Really? Yeah, editor and no producer. Way. Yeah. Um, but we've gotten to be a little irregular, but that's okay. Yeah. And like all things that are good, like bowels, we sometimes get irregular. <laughs> and that's all right. Um, but we're back. We're back. And better than ever. And better than ever. Um, guys, something very special is coming up. I'll let Tuesday. you all guess what it is. Okay. You got, <laughs> do you guys have it? It's my birthday. Period. Period. My 21st birthday, you guys. Woo! Guys, and Kendall, and this is not an open invite, so if you like, hear oh, this yeah. on the podcast, <laughs> don't think that you can just show up, but she's having a 21st birthday party this weekend, and the theme is Kendall Roy or Kendall Jenner. Yes. You can either come as Kendall Roy from Succession or Kendall Jenner from the Jenner-Kardashian dynasty, um, and I get to just be Kendall. Oh, oh, okay, I, I, okay, got it. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely being Kendall Roy. Perf. I mean, I'm gonna have to really carefully craft my, my outfit. And I think you know what's really interesting about that theme is that there is like a very slim area where the two could overlap in terms of what you wear. Right. <laughs> right. 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 No, the sunglasses. Yes. Yeah. And like kind of the like athleisure, but it's like a million dollars. Yeah, million dollar athleisure. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, What else has been going on recently? I walk now. Yeah, Kendall is a walker. I go on walks. And in that vein of self-improvement, I have also been waking up at 6.15 in the mornings to go on runs with my dear friend Anna. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But... I think it was a little bit too much too soon because I've got the old shin splints coming on, so I'm had to take a little bit of a break. Yes, and we are in the middle of researching shoes, shoes. running shoes. So any recommendations would be really helpful. I have flat feet. My shoe size nine yeah. and a half. Very flat feet. Should we be talking about feet on the podcast? We always talk about feet. That's true. And it's only fitting that we talk about it after Eddie's episode. <laughs> but today... We're going to talk about art, which we have alluded to speaking about in previous podcast episodes, but this is it. This is when we're doing it for the first time. Talking all about art. I think we should begin with, like, art museums in general. Okay. Like, the experiences of art museums, going to art museums, and, like, that whole, like, thing. So, like, why, why don't you start? Okay. Um. Well, okay. My mom... I'm just going to acknowledge my biases here, but I actually think they're biases that are actually more critical of art museums than, like, in favor of. My mom is the director of a contemporary art museum in Louisville um, called KMAC. Shout out KMAC. And I enjoy so much going to art museums. I love it. But like all things, I think it's incredibly important that we acknowledge um, and are critical of the role that art museums play, especially art museums that are like in some rich person's name, like the Guggenheim or mm. Brand 
or like any of like the big art museums because it's just a collection of all the works that these rich people have collected and have decided to put in a museum a to have their name on something and b to get a tax exemption so yeah but nonetheless i really really love art museums i would say some of my favorites sorry that was a really deep (laughs) sigh um some of my favorites uh i'm 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 a contemporary art girl so i prefer like the more like contemporary ones that said i am very anti pompidou museum i do not like the pompidou museum in paris i think their contemporary and modern art collection is a little bit boring which might be a little bit tea um but in louisville we have a really good art museum called the speed art museum it's very cool did we go we one? did go to that, that one. That one's very cool. I, I enjoyed our time there. Yes. Fun. Kendall and I played a really fun game while we were there. <laughs> what was the game? Remember we would like create narratives of like the different paintings? Yes. 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 Do I even have that? Did I like take a picture of that one? Oh, maybe. Maybe. But okay. So my art experience. I. Yeah. So like I go to Chicago very regularly almost every summer and it's always it's always always the art institute in great Chicago. place great, great place. place um <coughs> and like i've got it down to like a science of like okay first you walk up and then that's where they have impressionism that's where like um island on the grand Girat, like Girat is and you know blah, blah, blah. and then you know then you then from there that's where you just like take off and you can either go to whatever museum part you'd like but i i just never get bored i'm of course you're like seeing the same paintings over and over again but like you're changing like in a course of a year you're seeing things differently something that caught your eye and like made you stare for like 15 minutes one year is making you sort of just like glimpse over at the next and you you know it's just very very fun um, the National Gallery mm. in D.C. That is a good one. Very good. We have a sick collection. Yeah. Um, and, like, like Picasso and, like, Mondrian, like, very cool stuff. And I will say that I got into art from, we've talked about this before, but academic team, like, my quiz bowl days. And so, like, I think that is just, like, such a great thing for anyone to do just, like, yeah, in high school. Yeah, it really is. Because, like... Even if I'm not super well-versed in everything, I know how to, like, walk into places and be like, oh, yeah, no, that is uh, Greek, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? Or, like, oh, that book by, you know, Mark Twain or whatever. Like, it's very very important to have those sort of, like, general knowledge. No, and I think that that also makes the experience of going to a museum far more enjoyable because yeah. it's like at least you're like recognizing things and I think that's why so many people like really dread spending hours in an art museum mm-hmm. because you have no idea anything. And like yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I have never like studied really in an academic sense like any kind of artwork, but I feel like Ever since my mom, like, started working for this museum, like, I feel like it's it has changed my outlook on it, on mm-hmm. attending an art museum a little bit more. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I have an entire album called Art. Oh! <laughs> um, I definitely have more art pictures than this, but this is just what I've put in so far. Um, 
but yeah I, and i you brought up like the fact that like art is really tied to like socio like economic status and you know some it's sometimes some art museums are really just like the collections made public and so over the summer like when i went last summer to the art institute there was like an installation um now i'm blanking on the two lions outside of oh oh they have names okay oh they have names i want to figure out the names soon Anyway, and so they were sort of talking about, like, these are these huge, iconic staples of, like, Chicago, and they stand in front of this museum as not only, like, guards of the art that is inside of them, but guard to the sort of abstract, like, um, world of, like, you are in this class, so you don't know about this and this and this when it comes right, to the art right. world. It's, 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 it's like an, inte- it's an intellectual guarding. So they're guarding the actual property of art and it's also guarding like the intellectual part of art. And so it's just like, I was like, oh, you're so right. I just like, that is just, yeah. Like who gets access to like very like highbrow and then to decide like what is good art, I think has been a conversation, a philosophical conversation that's been happening for centuries well and i think the interesting thing about that too is it's like so this art museum is critiquing its own purpose and it's yeah and like i don't and i think this is a it's an interesting conversation because it's like is that enough like to just be like oh we acknowledge our we acknowledge that this is like kind of like this and this has historically been this way and like i don't know i feel like I feel like that's an interesting thing about a lot of, like, especially, like, critical art is, like, okay, you're acknowledging the wrong, but you're still keeping it, you're still, you're keeping that critique in a place that is still inaccessible. Yes. Like, oh, weren't we talking about it the other day? We were talking about how, like, the London Museum, or the British Museum in London, how they have, like, so many stolen artifacts. Yes, and on yes, the yes. website, they just have, like, a whole entire, like section that's like here are things that are contested and it's like you know like the 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 Benin sculptures and like artifacts like the Rosetta Stone like I just think it's so sad that like there are museums in like Africa um in the Middle East that just have plaques are just like this is something that is a part of our history it is not here it it resides in England Mm -hmm. no and yeah, I-, I think that's, like, a crazy, like, very obvious, like, colonial legacy, too, is, like, I d- yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and that reminds me, and this is unrelated to that, like, idea of, like, necessarily, like, stolen, like, unequitable, like, thing. But um, my favorite podcast is called Last Scene, um, and it's all about I- – I'm pretty sure I've, like, probably mentioned it on here, but it's, like, all about – these um famous like Vermeers and a lot of other like famous famous pieces of art that were stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston in like 1990 and it was like the largest art heist in all of history and the museum is like the coolest coolest thing ever and anyway the podcast is super super cool so everyone should listen to that but I think I think yeah I think there's a like I think what's really interesting about art is that it does it begs us to ask all of these questions like how do we what is like 
fair and just and like ownership and commodification like i think it's a cool thing that Mm -hmm. it sparks all of these conversations but then it also is like so it's like just crazy to me too like the the idea of like highbrow art and everything too and like these pieces being sold for millions and millions of dollars when you think about how artists begin their like work it's usually like streets of brooklyn like you're you're like arty and like you you probably you probably live with other people like this is just my picture of like the the new york artist uh-huh. and then one day you just make it big and then all of these like rich 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 people are owning your stuff it's just like interesting to me when we talk about like artists we don't think of them being held to the same like value or status that their art does mm, yeah Yes, 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 yes. Like, like, like I, I value your creation more than I value you. Yes, like, exactly. Keith Haring and Basquiat yes. are the two that come to mind, like, the, that, that, that period of the 90s. And, like, again, you walk into someone's house and they've got a Keith Haring up, an original, or they've got a Basquiat original, but, like, that dinner party that you're hosting tonight with all your fancy rich friends, would you have them seated at your table? yeah. A gay man and a black man, like, would you have them seated at your table? Be honest. Be honest. Like, and it's just, just like, very, like, irksome to see what yeah. has been happening to their legacies and, like, the commodification. Like, what what is a Pandora bracelet Keith Haring collab doing? Who's running that estate? And then, like, people talking about, like, I remember when Beyonce and Jay-Z were, like, I don't know, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. for Tiffany and co. And yeah. that was like a big deal. Anyway. Well, and I think the other interesting thing is like, in some ways it's like, oh, like, I mean, my assumption would be that a lot of, you know, like those artists who like created these works with such intention and, you know, with the, with the point to get some like serious message across to, or like how great that that message is being spread. But that's the whole thing with art is that like. I think a lot of times with art, if you're not being told what the message is or you're not reading from the artist's perspective or you're not reading the curatorial statements, like, how am I going to understand what Keith Haring was trying to say about the AIDS crisis by looking at at it on a t-shirt from Uniqlo? (laughs) Like, which, which, like, I think we're all kind of, like, I'm, like... I'm I'm guilty of that, too, considering I have a Keith Haring poster in my room. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know, like... That's why I think it's it's also interesting to, like, you can appreciate the aesthetics of a piece without totally, like, being aware of or understanding its meaning, too. Mm-hmm. And I also see how there's things wrong with that, especially because for I'm in a Spanish class right now called um, Art and Decolonization, and I actually just read a piece about how, like, European, like, aesthetics have become, like, the norm so we can't appreciate, like, beauty of any kind of, like, other form or, like, we haven't opened up, like, the aesthetic movement to appreciate and recognize and acknowledge, like, other aesthetic forms, basically. Yeah. So I get it when you, like, separate the the superficial beauty of a piece from its meaning is, like, also problematic, yeah. but... Yeah, it's like their image is traveling far. Yeah. Like, I think if you walked around our campus and just was like, look at this you know who this is and they'd be like yeah duh but the message again that is another Mm -hmm. story and it it reminds me like of like the abstract movement 
like post World War Two, and I remember like looking at those paintings and reading um, the curatorial statements. Very important, you guys. You guys yes. got to read those plaques. Like someone put in the time to like type up. I'm always impressed by like how do you like succinctly in like a very short amount of space summarize a piece or like at least like get someone started into like um the history of it but anyway so I was like at the National Gallery like reading about like the abstract expressionist movement and like everything that all the little camps that came alongside of it and like it was like it it was just so fascinating that like after World War II after like seeing the destruction of your country of your like your home like waking up in the morning and like a bomb falling on your next door neighbor's house where you played with, you know, their kids. Like, that's absurd. Yeah. And of course their paintings were very, like, shapes were weird. It it wasn't clear. Things needed to be interpreted. It just felt like a blob because, like, I can imagine, like, living through war would absolutely feel like everything is upside down and up is down and left is right. Like, you know, just no sense of direction on anything. And, I, and I'm and i also taking a poetry class this semester. And, like, the intersections between art and, like, mm-hmm. poetry is, like, really interesting. Like, so you, everyone knows about, like, surrealist, like, you know, paintings. But, like, surrealist poetry, like, that is, like, mm. something on its own as well. And, like, their influences in the way that they talk to each other. Um, I'm, like, thinking of, like, Frank O'Hara um, and, like, his associations with, like, the um surrealist movement but like it is very interesting and i love the freedom of art yeah and you know i'm reading a lot of poems these days and not everything resonates i don't get plath that much i'm sorry (laughs) sorry not sorry but like not everything is like hard hitting but like when you find a poem that's just like oh wow yeah sick no that is a beautiful line that i hope to memorize like i just think it's it's very fun. And then it also brings up a lot of, like, I think we always ask this question of, like, it seems like the trend is, like, it's the most popular poets that get, like, the harshest critiques from critics. Uh. And I think the same thing with, like, artists. And it's, like, if you're too popular, if you're too mainstream, if the public understands you, like, too much, then you're not really art. There's like, right, right. There's you can't like, make it too clear, yeah. If there's, like, the sense of, like, accessibility being uh, associated with how good your art is. And you know me, honey. Accessibility to everyone. Not everything has to be so hard to understand and hard to break down. Like, I want, like, the person, like, performing on the street corner outside of the Art Institute to be able to connect and have, like connection to this piece as well you know yeah and i think that's a good point that you made that almost kind of predicts contradicts your like statement about like i love how free art is because is it really free if Mm. i mean i don't know i think i think probably even at the height of like kind of keith herring and basquiat before they both like died we're probably at some point kind of having to grapple with the idea like okay well inaccessibility is what gets me where i want to be yeah the game like that might that might come at the cost of my message but is that like worth it yeah i think yeah i think that's what's really hard about like art too and like understanding meaning is like how do you 
what audience are they trying to play to yeah. and does that like factor in with what they're like trying to say i also think back to your statement about like the curatorial statement I think it's so interesting, too, because that is such a personal thing to interpret a piece of art. How do you know that that's what the artist is trying to say? Especially, like, years and years after they've died and years and years after several people have come out with their interpretations. It's almost like the curator is a huge filter yeah. for what the what your personal interpretation is. So, honestly, maybe in some ways read it, but don't read it. Yeah, read it to be like, okay... Here's the context. Context. Read it yeah. for context, but maybe not like, oh, that's what this piece is about, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Everything with balance. And yeah, I would say like the gatekeeping. Like I think when I meant like freedom of art making, I like in the creative process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like something as absurd that just popped into my mind. Like you could have like a painting of like, a butthole with like flowers oh, sprouting out of it like that's obscene but i could totally see that hanging yeah, in some yeah, rich person's yeah. house it's like it's it's a narrative it's a commentary on the yeah. way that we um express wastefulness and beauty yeah and this is reminding me of the episode <laughs> of sex in the city we just oh. saw where, where <laughs> it, what is it it's the it's the guy that charlotte like like dresses up for and drag yeah 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 anyway it's just like really interesting to me like also like when when rich people choose to buy specific things that they would be normally uncomfortable with if they came across that kind of situation in the real world like a butthole with flowers for instance like how are those people going to react if that's just like on the street but if it's like carefully crafted in this like art form it's okay to even be in your home like that yes absolutely Art, 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 art. Art, art, art. That's so interesting. Yeah. And this is also another question. And this is something I wanted to talk about because I would say, and maybe this is just all my classes I've taken recently, but I'm very interested in post-colonial slash decolonial art. And my favorite artist is named Yenka Shonibare. And he's a British Nigerian artist. And all of the stuff he does is like so cool. He takes like, usually they're like, a lot of them he's like primarily sculpture but he does like photography and like paintings and everything and he takes like famous sculptures like my favorite one is like the venus de milo but he's wrapped her in like african traditional cloth and like has her head being like this globe and they're like usually like takes on famous like european art um and they always have this like african traditional cloth in it and i think it's super interesting because it's like I mean, I'm not saying I would ever be rich enough to ever, like, personally own one of his pieces, but, Mm -hmm. like, is that appropriate for someone to, like, just be buying for their own personal collection in their home and they're, like, not, like, they're just, like, a white girl? Like, (laughs) is it appropriate to own, like, this piece that is, like, really making a very, very strong commentary on, like, decoloniality? Like, should that be something that someone has in their private home? Yeah. That's a good question. And it's because it's like, if so, then that means that every time a guest comes into your house, like doing a guest tour, you have to stop and be like, so this is a piece by mm-hmm. this artist. And da, 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 and so, so that you're sharing the message and sharing the culture. But at the same time, I think that would be the that's what museums are for. Mm. It's that it's that's, you know, you know, the space where if you want to get educated on art that's like where you go for the public and like it's not perfect and there you know it's not 
but you know they have the expertise and the knowledge on how to um have that message come across in some sort of way that would not be coming across if it was just hauled up in someone's like great hall you know yeah yeah Yeah. but now we should talk about architecture oh yes let's do it let's do it Kendall had a dream I (laughs) (laughs) I had a dream I have many dreams but now that I'm thinking about it okay so a house showed up in my dream last night that is very like modern and like it was, it's like a mid-century modern house, but like in the 21st century, if that makes sense. Okay. And so <laughs> it's like it's like wood paneling, but it's like stainless so, steel appliances. Yeah, <laughs> yes, but like so far from like um the 70s. And it's so weird because like when I'm like curating like what I would want like my future place to look like like on Pinterest and stuff, like it does not look like that at all. Okay. It's only in this dream world that I have these, like, very um, modern, like, houses. And I wish I could just take, like, an architecture class that I could describe. Or I wish you could just, like, download into my brain and see. Yeah, let me just let me just plug in. Plug in. <laughs> plug in. And they're very cute. It's very cute. I needless to say, I will be building a house um, in the future. Based on a dream. Based on this dream. Okay. And I will sell it for billions and billions of dollars. But, yeah. Anyway. So, I, I'm an architect by night. <laughs> and a student by day. But okay. Th- but there's this, like, Apple TV series or something. Oh, I've watched this with you before. Is I it think. Home? I don't know what it's called. I don't even know what it's called. But there's this one house called... I'm going to butcher this name. It's French. Ugh. Oh, pas. Um, It's like... Ure House. Oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. I don't even know what you're trying to say, but mm. it's like in the, it's like in the countryside of France, and it's like this really, it's so cool. Like their top roof, like the very top of their house, like is basically no roof. It's open, so there's a bathroom up there, and like the, there's like just like the central part of the house is just like light streaming in, and then there's like um like hammock sort of structures that you're like you can like lay. And like read a book and be on top of like the living room on the like floor above. And it's just like very open, like nature is sort of coming in the house. It's like blurring like where nature begins and like where the house begins. And I don't think it would be like really my like day conscious like um, sort of dream house. But it definitely fits the mold of my subconscious dream house. Interesting. Modern, but not it's very fun. That is fun. I I would say I'm probably more traditional when it comes to like architecture, my dream house. My dad was formerly an architect, so I feel like much of my I didn't know that. <coughs> yeah. Cool. Um much of my like ideas come from him. But um no, I was also because Kendall was. We were literally just talking about this. Like literally, probably, we were just talking about. Literally, this. just talking about <laughs> this. Probably like twenty minutes ago. Um, but I also read for my sociology class a very, very, very interesting thing. This is like really deep. This po- this episode. I'm sorry. I'm I'm bringing all the deep commentary. There's nothing funny about what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, we all make it funny. We'll find a way. Yeah, but the concept of like hostile architecture. 
and like discriminatory design is like also really 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 interesting to me especially because i think it was shocking to me that it was ever like that that was the intent of the kinds of things that you see every day like spikes on the top of fences or like um benches at bus stations having like um armrests instead of just being one straight bench Mm -hmm. is like the goal is to like make it less accessible for like homeless people or people to like enjoy themselves in these public spaces it's supposed to like limit kind of like loitering or like birds so that birds can't land on tops of fences and stuff like that and again it's all to make things more private and Mm. inaccessible and i was telling kendall what i think is really interesting about that is that now it's like those types of things while their original intent might have been to be these kind of discriminatory or like or um you know making that space more inaccessible now it has been like coded into our like understanding of design and architecture and everything so that now it just gets replicated as if to pay homage to this era of this type of design work or whatever and so like and this is just like how institutions work and how we like code all these awful things and like prejudice and injustice into our institutions but like that is what happens it just gets reproduced without like kind of awareness of what like the original purpose was Mm. and i think that that's just like really kind of crazy because i don't know i think that's so fascinating (laughs) to me blows my mind yeah i was like funny 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 no this is very serious very serious very serious (laughs) anti-homeless architecture just reminds me like luke (laughs) my dog would you like there was a time where like my parents didn't like him being on the couches and stuff so they would like flip the couch cushions up at night and i'd be like look at this hostile anti-luke architecture in my home i was just like what but seriously like it's like it's it's mm, without getting too off topic from art but just to comment on like homelessness and like the city and like you know urban structures and it's just like for people who want to eradicate homelessness, and I can say this firmly in my gut and in my heart, if you're a good person, that's your cause, that, that's something that you're interested in um, and would be on board with, the eradication of homelessness. Um, you also want to balance that with like, okay, but we're not going to automatically put the millions of people who don't have homes into places overnight. So that means there's got to be safe spaces in the meanwhile Mm -hmm. and that means like you shouldn't have to sleep on the street but if you if that is your circumstance it should be safe to do so Mm -hmm. to sleep outside we've got camping culture we've got cultures where people are like selling their like houses and are like living the van life and i think i have we talked about this on this episode i don't don't think we have but like I, i made the comment that like our I don't know where I got this from, but I always, I just think it resonates that like it takes a certain type of privilege to be able to thwart away the economic successes and the, um, you know, generational wealth of like having a home and being like, I'm, I don't want to do that right now. I'm going to be a vagabond for a year and live in a camper and do my thing. And then when I get tired of it and when I get bored of it, I'm going to go back and I'm going to live in a stable house. Yeah. And but like we have that culture, but like why why can't someone who's just like really like strapped for cash and just like doesn't have a home right now why can't they just like lay their head down in a tent without the fear of like 
something so awful and horrible happening to them. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, sorry, the digital nomad vagabond thing <laughs> just made me think about this whole other... This was a an article I read, too, about how... Um, yeah, these, like, digital nomads that will, like, go to live a year in, like, some country. Like, I think this article was particularly talking about, like, South America. It messes with their economy to a whole nother level because they come in. I, there's something about conversion of, like, the dollar. Mm-hmm. Like, you come in and you're, like, a millionaire because your dollar is worth so much in, like, the local currency of, like, wherever, like, Ecuador or something like that. And it, like, really screws their economy over and allows you to live a life of, like, immense privilege in this new place as a digital nomad for, like, a year and then you dip. And I don't I don't really understand everything. And it was one of those articles that I glazed over. But I'm yeah. like, it is, I, I, and I feel like, I feel like everyone is always like, this generation is just so critical of everything that everybody does. And, like, <laughs> okay, granted, if I were probably in the situation of, like oh, I've got all this money and my job's remote. I'll just, like, mess around and, like, live the van life. Like, I don't know that I would actually, if I were in that situation, like, make the conscious choice to be like, wait, but let me think about the implications of this really Mm -hmm. quickly. But I do think it's, like, an important critique for people to realize, too, like, that, like, I mean, yeah, you you will have immense effects as a 25-year-old with, like, a fat stack of American dollars going to wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about fashion. Oh, let's do it. I feel like in high school, I was very daring and bold. Like, middle school and, like, high school. Like, I remember, like, wearing things that, like, people, they just, we weren't we weren't dressing like that. Like, I remember going to court. We had to do, like, court before we got, like, our license or something or a permit or something. I don't remember. But, like, I wore, like, this red dress, this red little wrap dress with a red beret and, like, these oh, red sunglasses. And Josh always brings <laughs> up, like, I can't believe you went to court looking like that. And I was like, I'm just doing me. But I feel like after 2020, my fashion sense kind of just, like, fell off a little bit. Like, mm. I'm like, I think, I don't want to, I don't want to say I'm insecure about my fashion sense, but I definitely, like, and because of friggin' TikTok and the internet, I'm seeing so many people who it looks like they have a strong sense of fashion that they have like good style and they really care about that stuff. And it just feels like I'm like, sort of like, you know, me, my biggest plight in the morning is figuring out shirt, pant, combo, top, bottom combo. So to eliminate that, I really like jumpsuits. And I think my entire wardrobe should just become jumpsuits because they're just so easy. It's going to get to the point where Kendall has, like, the same jumpsuit in, like, five different colors. And then, like, <laughs> like ten patterns. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I feel like I have never really had, like, a personal sense of style. It's just one of those things that, like, I really don't care about fashion. It's, like, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a utility girl when it comes to fashion. Like, and I think that that comes from a level of, like, body insecurity. But also, I'm just, like, at this point... I am just, I would rather spend birthday money on a nice print or piece of artwork so true. to adorn my room with than to, like, have to go out and buy something and try stuff on. So I think that that is where my, like, objection to, like, personal fashion and style comes from. Um, 
but at the same time well and i think also also i have talked about this before my dear friends from home i feel like um and i love this about them that they are (laughs) always on the next like fashion trend they're like they're talking these like little european clothing brands to each other like oh paloma wool whatever and i'm just like i'll sit there quietly like in the background because i just like don't care i've got the american eagle jeans and that's all i need and i will like own things forever and ever and ever and like they have whole everything i everything i own has a hole in it and then it's time to go. The one thing I take immense pride in is my shoes. Yeah, shoe game <laughs> on 10 and European. <laughs> yeah, love the shoes. Um, But yeah, I don't know. That is something that I feel like would... I just can never, like, picture myself being, like, really, like, caring. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. it's nice to, like, get a nice dress every once in a while, but I can't imagine, like making a conscious effort to like figure out my personal fashion no, sense no, no, no. like i bought a dress for friday upcoming for birthday party for my birthday and <sighs> wait has it come yet no it's gonna come this week hopefully i i paid for express okay, shipping okay. and i think i'm also just like very frugal like, yeah i don't yeah. like spending money like i'll like and i hate shopping too because i'm like I just get this immense sense of like, I've described it as this for years now, ennui. When I'm like, like fashion ennui, like boredom. As I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is cute. This is cute. I feel like I just have something like this, and I'm like, everything is just so ugh. Like I swear I don't buy things unless they like give me a jolt. Like I have this blue jumpsuit that I bought back over winter break, and I'm gonna wear it on Tuesday. And I think that's so sick. And that was, um, that was something I had to like. That was money, honey, Christmas money. But like, um, again, I and I think my shoe game is also weak as fuck. Like, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I was wearing the same tennis shoes from <laughs> middle school gym, bro, all summer working at this camp. And when I was like working in the gym, working out in the gym last year, I had those shoes, and. Because, like, you have to be replacing your shoes every couple, like, miles. I'm like, what the fuck is a mile? <laughs> but, like... I'm not good with distance. I'm not good with distance at all. But, yeah, I, I just don't care. So, you know what? This conversation has really made me think. It's time to get some jumpsuits. Yeah. And you... It sounds like you subscribe to the Marie, like, Kondo. That's her name, right? Yeah. Marie Kondo. Like, if it doesn't bring you joy, then... Don't buy it. Don't keep it. Yeah. No. And I'm not to say that I'm never going to like that. I don't like jeans. I love my I love some jeans and a simple T-shirt every now and again. But like for some reason, there's just something so mm, about jumping into an outfit that is just <laughs> zip already laid out. Yes. <laughs> like you would work prison so good <laughs> yes i would i would but um and then i think meg was saying like well isn't that like a hassle to like go to the bathroom oh, yes, and like yes up that concern. it is it is you know you're fully naked in the bathroom stall <laughs> but it's a trade-off i'm willing to make for the yeah, yeah. oh Kendall said the other day that her dad has mastered the Cardi B. It's just so fun. And that's the reason why I can roll my R's now. Not for Spanish-speaking purposes, 
for oh right right if you if you tried to do it in spanish you just cut wait wait oh okay 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 so it's there but you're good i have the potential if i wanted to i could true oh my god okay sorry i'm gonna take us out a little bit from the art conversation because i just need to alert our podcasters our podcast listeners Mm mm-hmm that I will be taking elementary Russian next <laughs> semester. Um, so just get ready for the the r- little tidbits in Russian that I'll have. Yeah, no, she's going to develop an accent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll be every single day, so maybe I will. Purr, purr, mink, purr. mink. Yeah, I can't even think about scheduling. It's I know, Kendall's really stressed about it. So we should- I'm like not stressed, but it's just like, it's got to come together, and it's not going to be anytime soon, I guess. Three classes. I know. And I feel like this is always how it works out for you. Yeah, Have you registration. Have you ever had like a... Like a perfect registration? Or when you're like really excited about your classes? No. Never. 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 Whoa. <laughs> um, musical theater. That's art. Oh, yes. Performance theater. I'll be taking a theater class next Right. Tell semester. everyone. Tell everyone about it. Um, it's called No More Forces. I think it's about like African American like theater style. So I'm thinking we're just gonna be like learning how to like act like Viola Davis. Oh, and I can't yes. w- I can't wait to be proven <laughs> wrong. You're like, wait, I don't like this. Wait, class. <laughs> this is kind of hard, you guys. But yeah, doing something outside of my comfort zone. People have always pegged me as like a theater kid, but I'm not. I've not done theater ever. You just hang out with them. I was just. I just hung out with that crowd and I have a very expressive, you know, mannerisms so I can get why people would think I'm a theater kid, but I'm not. And, and I think also while you say you've never done musical theater, mm. you've never done it in um like a copyrighted or trademarked setting, but you do it every day in your yes. house. Every oh, single day. of New Yorker. Um, yes. We, we break out into song, into musical numbers all the time we were doing it right before this yes and it's like here's my thing too like i can like sing a little bit of like a little shop of horrors and cats and like mash and you know all these like big musicals you asked me the plot never seen them <laughs> can't tell you that honey the cat dies on the tire <laughs> I, I think that's how it goes um which is great yeah and I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier, where the the superficiality has of the of the piece yes. has lost its meaning and context. Whoopsie, that's okay. I feel like I'm a jack of all trades, master yeah, of none. You are. Have you seen Master of None? No. Oh, it's so good. It's on okay. Netflix. But yeah, like I can dibble and dabble, you know. That's very important yeah, to me. It is, and yeah, Kendall and I really, really, really. I don't know if it's really going to work out, but we've said we're going to be in a musical together before the <gasps> end of college. Even if we have to do, like, local theater, we'll figure it local, out. We'll start a <laughs> musical. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I will say I'm not I'm not very well versed in, like, musical theater. Really? I feel like I learn most of the songs from musicals, actually from you, probably just from listening to you <laughs> sing them. Um, but I, I was in a few, but not, like... Oh, we just heard a weird noise. That's why we're like, hmm. But yeah, but But, yeah, I feel like I'd get so intimidated. I feel like when you get into like your like acting mode, 
like do you think your method do you think you like you sort of get a little out of lily i don't think i'm method okay i would i think it would like it would be nice to be method though I think maybe there was one night in high school when I was doing Hamlet where I was a little bit method mm-hmm. and then immediately out of it. Yeah. You, well, I think it's really interesting because succession, like Jeremy. Mm. Oh, yes. Let's talk about this. What's, what is his name? The actor, Kendall Roy. I'm sorry. I'm usually good with names, but um, is method. Yeah. I think it's, is it not Jeremy Strong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Uh huh. So like, is method right? And Brian Cox is kind of like, you know, bah, that's so American. You can't really do that all the time. And it's like a lot of actors talk about like the body not knowing the difference between what is real and what's fiction. Mm -hmm. And like, like Tony Collette and like Hereditary talking about like having to learn how to find that balance of like it's in your body and you want to be able to like take the performance to that place, but without actually traumatizing yourself yeah and like that was a big thing that joaquin phoenix was talking about when he did joker too yeah um no i think that is really really fascinating um but shoot there was something i was gonna say about this something about getting into the zone getting into the zone shoot how could i have lost it it was a really good thought Mm. no like, we talked about getting into the zone and, like, meditation. Like, that is, like, a real, like, psychic space. Being yeah. in the zone, it's very close to, like, I don't know, like, meditative peace. Mm. I totally don't remember. But, yeah, method acting is, like, crazy to me. Like, I think it's because... Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think it's so interesting. I think acting, like, as a... Like, profession, yeah, mm-hmm. as an like, like as an action, and as a profession is like very interesting because people can do it well from a whole like variety of strategies or whatever, and like it's crazy that people who like are so method that they actually think they are the character in that moment can be equally good and put on the same stage as someone who's like, I'm just pretending. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's crazy to me. That yeah. They can meet each other and, like, play off of each other while being in two completely different headspaces. Yes. <coughs> Sorry, God, my cough. Oh, my gosh, my baby. Mm. You need to get well. Get but so well I took soon. this acting class last semester. Oh, yeah. And it was a very unserious acting class. <laughs> very much unserious. And anyone who was in that class will definitely know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Basically, we all had to give these, like, little presentations about different, like, acting teachers throughout history. And, like, I always thought that was super interesting. I'm like, wow, they they all had, like, groups of students learning different ways to do things. And, like, I think it's just funny when we think about acting in, like, movies and that kind of thing. And we're just watching. Like, oftentimes we're not critiquing or whatever. Like, really thinking about how they're doing things. And my thought just came back. Um, (laughs) But I'll finish that. Yeah, I don't know. I I, like. I think it's just really interesting to like sit down and be like, wait, wait, wait. This person like had to like try it, try saying the line a few different ways, Mm -hmm. or doing character development before they did this, or like. I think that's just crazy to me. Maybe because when I've acted, I've just never done any of that. I I just like (laughs) go and read the line, like say it a few different ways, and then we'll see. Mm -hmm. But Georgia, my one of my housemates does this and it drives me berserk (laughs) like we were watching succession today 
we were starting from the beginning because she hadn't seen it before. And there's a there's a scene in the third episode where Roman like basically goes up to like the window of his office and like starts jerking off like in the window. And it's like an incredibly awkward scene. But Georgia is always like, oh, my God, I feel so bad for that actor. <laughs> and I literally go berserk. And she says the same thing about like, call me by your name. And like that made me mad because I'm like. It's probably not weird for the actor. Like, maybe it's weird the first time they do it, but they're not thinking about, like, oh, this is so weird or this is so awkward. Like, yeah. they're so into it and so, like, deep in the in the character Yeah, that I don't think it's weird because it's exactly what the character would do. Yeah. It is and them as the character, and that is what the them, they would do. Absolutely. And I feel like if I had to do, like, an acting thing that, like, was a bit wacky or uncomfortable... Honey, I'd be meditating on that check. Just think That's about that check. That's what I'm check. saying. I'm like, I, I, I'm sorry. These people are rich, 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 rich. Rat. I don't think they really care. Yeah. And I will say for like, sometimes I'll do like little, um, <laughs> I'll do like little skits. Like I will go into a bit and I'll commit to it. You will. And my favorite one is the scorn woman. <laughs> <laughs> Where have you been tonight? Well, I put little Jessica down at 11 and I came back to see if you were going to be home, but you weren't. And I know you're out there with that hussy. <laughs> well, I stay here and I take care of this home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try it out, you guys. Take Try on bits. It's yeah. all art. We have to figure out a way to wrap up this episode. I know. From what we were talking. I mean, because again, art is like, it's capital a art right like it's music it's theater it's television it's visual it's digital it's like there's so many different like forms of poetry reproductions of the social reproductions of the social and once you start seeing your life as art as well that's when stuff gets interesting that's when things get interesting that's when like play starts like i've i recently like i've told you about this but like if you like see your life as like someone is like in the writing room and you are the character right and so it's like it it just makes things interesting so like recently i've been experiencing so much synchronicity it's crazy like thinking of something or like saying a, like in my head and then like the lyric popping up on the like the song that i'm listening to and it's like wait what what and it's just it's so freaky and it takes me out of it but i think it's also like a little giddy and exciting as well i just feel like it's like um it's just really fun like the um, like one of the big things about like writing is like check off smoking gun right mm-hmm. so if a gun shows up in the first act it needs to go off by the end of the play and it's like so there are these things in my life that um are being put into this act that are going to have some they're gonna go off in another part and it's just like very interesting and like not you know everything that happens to you can be seen as like for the plot like some things are just like shitty and you can be sad about them but like it's also just like ah amazing writing choice writers that was an interesting one it hurt a little bit but it it was fun to like am i making sense or am i talking like a method actor (laughs) you are making sense picking that one down yeah, and, and on the next episode, I think this is a good question for us to ponder and, and let it go, but so if there are writers, who's 
who's the screenwriter for your life? <laughs> like the only people I can think of are like who are like writers or like Matt Damon. I don't know why he came into my mind first. <laughs> Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote yes. my life. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want that. Maybe it is Ben Affleck. Sometimes the way that like I like get strong urges to go to Dunkin' and get the middest coffee. It's- ben Affleck just writes very <laughs> mid scenes. No, I think don't don't diss on Goodwill Hunting like that. Oh, honey. Um. <laughs> Oh, Kendall hasn't even finished that freaking I think I've got, movie. like, 30 minutes left it's, of it. It's, okay, I, I, it's one of the best pieces of film I've ever seen. For a native With New Yorker. excellent monologues. Anyway, thanks should we for, Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We're not going to just, like, stop the episode. We'll, we'll say bye-bye-bye. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. bye.